This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. The South African government believes that it has a meaningful role to play in solving the Russian-Ukrainian war. It has put forward its own resolution at the United Nations, which have been backed by Russia and condemned by the Ukraine. What is motivating South Africa's policy and how will it play out long term? I'm really delighted to have my former colleague and the first host of the show, Stephen Gruse, to tell me more. Stephen heads up the African Governments and the Diplomacy Program at the South African Institute of International Affairs and is an expert on South African foreign policy and Russia-Africa relations. Stephen, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Cherise. Stephen, what game is South Africa playing? South Africa is trying to remain neutral, or so it says. It is trying not to take sides in this. It is trying to be on the fence, as it were. But many observers have said that the side of the fence that it's leaning to is Russia's side. It sees NATO as partly res- NATO expansion as partly responsible for this conflict. It's in bricks with the Russians. It's it has a long-standing partnership with Russia over the years, economic, but also political. Russia was a supporter of the ANC in exile and in the liberation movements in Southern Africa. There are trade ties with Russia and did make some efforts to mediate. So on the 10th of March, President Ramaphosa phoned President Putin and had a discussion, but he didn't follow that up with a call to Zelensky, for example. So that, I think that made it very difficult for South Africa. And then we can talk a little bit about the resolution at the UN, if, if you'd like. We'll maybe catch that up a little bit later. But it's trying to remain neutral, but it's being perceived very much as pro-Russia. Stephen, there are lots of reasons for South Africa to play the role it does. It's a member of BRICS. It has um, traditional historical ties with Russia. But economically, does it make sense for South Africa to be seen to be supporting Russia? So the economic links are pale into uh, insignificance compared to our relations with the Western countries economically and China. So Russia is really a bit player, although we did see in the Sunday papers that there are allegations and, and rumors that there is something behind this uh, stance of South Africa, that there are Russian companies in the running for big oil and gas contracts in South Africa. And that doesn't give one pause. I think when I asked that question, I was specifically thinking of that gas. I mean, is, is that a significant something that South Africa, you know, is going to benefit South Africa in the long term? Maybe in the long term, but in the short term, we don't really have a gas industry. We know that there's liquid gas uh, offshore Mozambique, and uh, there's also deposits in South African territorial waters, but it's not like we can tomorrow go and supply the Russians, or for that matter, the Europeans, uh, with with gas because we just don't have the infrastructure at the moment, we'd have to really scale up. And I'm not sure we're going to be one of the major producers. If Europe's gas is cut off from Russia, it's going to look to the North African countries before it's going to look to South Africa, because we are 6,000 miles further south. In terms of Africa, uh, you are obviously an expert on Africa-Russia relations. Is South Africa unique in its position compared to the rest of the African countries? I don't think it's unique. There are other African countries that have followed the same sort of pattern, in particular those run by former liberation movements in Southern Africa, so Namibia, Angola, Zimbabwe. But we've seen Botswana vote the other way. We've seen Nigeria, Kenya, Gabon. We've seen a number of African countries actually supporting the resolution to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So I don't think South Africa is unique. There are others who have this this perspective, 
But we do seem to have hogged the limelight. And certainly as South Africans, we are more interested in what's happening with our own government than necessarily with others. But really, there was a split on the first UN vote. Um, uh, about 27 African countries voted to support the condemnation of Russia. 17 abstained, of which we were one. Eight didn't bother to vote or were not in the room. And one supported Russia, which was Eritrea. Um, and we saw a similar pattern uh, for the second vote on humanitarian aid. There, South Africa developed an alternative text quite late in the game and was really slammed by Ukraine for not consulting with it on that text. And Ukraine actually moved the, for the UN to vote on whether they took any further action on that text. And it was quite resoundingly defeated. And what was very interesting there was to see that, in fact, it was not African countries as a block had not supported South Africa. There were some that voted with South Africa, but there were many others that abstained or that voted against South Africa's proposal. So uh, I'm not sure we maintain the same status that then uh, in Africa as we've had in, uh, in previous years. I think uh, 10 years of the Zuma foreign policy of xenophobia has meant that our stature in Africa needs rebuilding. I mean, we've just come out of the AU summit where South Africa was pushing for Israel to lose its accreditation status. Are we seeing, Stephen, with this war, a new alignment of countries not based on so much regions, but based on philosophy? Are we going back to a Cold War? And how will this affect Africa? Well, you know, that's the big question of whether we're going to another Cold War. And I don't know if anybody can say that for sure. But what, what you can say is that the world is splitting again into two camps. And maybe that's the definition of a Cold War where proxy wars are fought or, or there's other rivalry. I think African countries don't want to make a choice. Many of them have strong links with Russia and China, particularly China, and don't want to be forced into one camp or the other. South Africa is very much in that position. We are members of BRICS with uh, uh, Russia and China, as well as India and Brazil. And we, we politically are very aligned to that philosophy of a multipolar world and a multilateral world. But also, uh, we have extremely important trading partners in the US, in the UK, and the European Union and its member states. So I do think, you know, there may well be a push. The longer this goes on, the more fractured the UN becomes. I think there will be a reckoning of who votes where and how and who is cleaving closer to the West and who is cleaving closer to the East. Uh, this is going to be a choice for all African countries to make, and there are going to be pressures from, from both sides for them to make it. You spoke about the UN resolution that, and the resolution that South Africa brought, and you said the Ukraine was very much against it, obviously. But I also saw that the Danish ambassador to South Africa took a very strong stand. And I guess at times like this, everybody watches everything you do, and there are going to be implications. So what are the implications for South Africa in terms of the EU and America? There may well be consequences. I mean, I think these sorts of actions do have reactions, and the Europeans indeed have been very disappointed with South Africa's stance. Uh, they've been very firmly behind Ukraine. And uh, South Africa, for example, didn't even name Russia in this resolution that was defeated. So I think there may be uh, stresses and strains there and definitely from the US as well. In fact, on the morning of the vote, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken spoke to our uh, Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Naledi Pandor, and the American readout of that call 
was basically that America would like all the countries of the world to be on the same page and singing from the same hymn book and were not really welcoming a separate initiative by South Africa at the General Assembly as happened. So I think that is an important fact. You know, this may affect future trade, this may affect future diplomatic relations, or it may be something that's very low cost and doesn't have all these ripples and is quickly forgotten about. I mean, I've seen, you know, articles written about the economy and the global economy and ripples and, you know, all all these things are going to be impacted, Stephen. And I imagine the longer it lasts, the worse the impact is going to be. I mean, we've already seen, you know, refugees. Do you have any sense of what outcomes can be, potential outcomes? It's so difficult because I don't think we really knew the objectives of Putin in the first place. People surmised was uh, that he wanted to take the east uh, of the Donbass region uh, completely, that he wanted a land bridge to Crimea, which is why there's been such a big fight over Mariupol, and that he wanted Kiev to fall uh, quickly and Zelensky to leave the scene uh, one way or the other. So far, failing on all of those fronts. And so what we're going to see probably is a pullback of Russian forces from Kiev, and they're going to focus more heavily on on the east, on the Donbass region and Mariupol, which has been totally destroyed. I mean, I think those pictures that we saw are heartbreak, you know, reminiscent of Dresden in, in 1945, just total devastation. But we don't know what the end game is here. You know, the talks are stop-start, and I don't know if they're, they're sincere. I don't know if you can really have talks before the shooting stops and the shooting is, hasn't stopped. Uh, Ukraine has seemingly given up its desire to join NATO at some point and has said it's going to be neutral and is asking uh, for guarantees from various countries. You know, what allows Putin to claim a victory in this war? Because he said he was setting out to demilitarize and denazify a country on Russia's borders that was uh, that NATO was now wanting to encroach onto Russia's borders. Well, NATO has been on Russia's borders since 1949 because Norway is a member, and Norway shares 200 kilometers of co- of of border with uh, with 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 Russia or in in those days the Soviet Union. The three Baltic uh, republics are NATO members since 2004. So I, I don't know if that pretense uh, really holds much water. There, there's so much. The, the implications of this are huge. Um, I think between us, we can decide that South Africa probably doesn't have a role to play in, in peacemaking. Do you think Israel does? Well, Israel has played a role. Um, uh, Prime Minister Bennett has uh, visited Moscow during this conflict. He's had numerous calls with Putin. He's had numerous calls with Zelensky. I mean, you know, from an outside point of view, looks like a very unlikely mediator, but has a has good relations with both communities, with both countries. Uh, there were, uh, were obviously big Jewish communities in both of those countries, and in fact, still have large Jewish communities. So there's something at stake, I think, but it's, it goes beyond the Jewish communities. Israel, uh, I mean, I would be very surprised if it was the but turned out to be the primary peacemaker in this one. I'd be very happy and pleasantly surprised. But uh, at the moment, the initiative seems to be in Istanbul. The way that, and this is something you've, you've mentioned quite a bit, and it struck certainly the Jewish community, is the way the South African government treats its relations with this war as it does with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Do you think there's any going back in terms of going back to the government when Israel is brought up and saying, you've got double standards, or do you think it's just going to continue as is? Well, I- I think double standards should be pointed out uh, whenever they exist. And in this war, people have said you're getting so upset about Ukraine, but there wasn't the same level of outrage on bombing of Serbia, 
on uh, invading uh, or, or, or having a no-fly zone over Libya and look at all the problems that that has caused. You know, I think activists and are, are going to make these comparisons whether we, we like them or not. So yes, I think they will appear that the South African government has been so careful and so stepping on eggshells so as not to offend Russia. Contrast that with the language of any given a statement on the Israeli-Palestinian issue. So we have a, a long way to go in terms of putting out, continuing to pull out South Africa's double standards. Uh, we have a lot of new ammunition to use against them because their double standards are so blatant. As Com, uh, as uh, Groucho Marx, I think, said, if you don't like my principles, don't worry, I've got others. Uh, and on that cheerful note, um, Thank you very much, Stephen, for, for joining me. And um, yeah, it's nice to see you on all the other mainstream medias as well. Not that High FM is not mainstream in any way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's good to see you know your, your voice being heard. So thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Cherise, and uh, have a good Shabbos. Thank you, you too. That was my former colleague, Stephen Groost, who now heads up the African Governance and Diplomacy Program at the South African Institute of International Affairs.